everyone, and welcome to Let's Pod This. This is Andy Moore, and I'm joined by Scott Nelson. What's up, man? Hey, man. How are you feeling? I'm doing all right, man. I'm, I'm a little under the weather today, but we're getting through. All right. Well, a summer cold. There's a few things worse than being sick in the summertime. Dude, it's I'll tell you what. 98 degrees outside, and you got a fever that's no well, good. And just not, you know, and it means you can't sleep well, and you're tired at work, and so then... Even when everything else at work is fine, like work still sucks because you don't feel good. So it's just, yeah. True story. Yeah. Uh, however, I'm having a great week. I'll say I had three big things happen to me this week in order, in chronological order, not in order of importance. I was going to say, you better be careful on this one. Right. Um, so on Monday, uh, it was announced, something I've known for, a, well, since last weekend, um, that I, in addition to Let's Fix This, I am now the Executive Director of Freedom of Information Oklahoma. This is a, another nonprofit organization. This is a, it's another part-time thing. So I'm not doing this in place of, let's fix this, if anyone has wondered, nor am I doing it in place of my actual day job that pays my bills. Um, but Freedom of Information Oklahoma, or FOI Oklahoma, FOI, as my wife says, um, is the, uh, the, state, the state's preeminent, maybe their only organization that advocates for, doesn't advocate, that, that does education, education, maybe some advocacy that promotes the um, open records and really just the First Amendment in general. There's an organization like this in every state. Um, this is ours. And their previous director had been there for, I believe, 22 years and was moving on and so uh, to, to retirement. And they put out a search, and I was fortunate enough to be named the new director. I'm, I think, I know I've talked to you about this already, but I'm really excited because I think that the mission of FOI Oklahoma and the mission of Let's Fix This are complementary. They dovetail nicely. They do dovetail nicely. And so I think that we'll, um, that will certainly inform what we do over at Let's Fix This. Um, and, and hopefully what we do here will help inform that. And together, again, we can just try to make Oklahoma a better, more open and transparent state. Yeah, man, I agree. So first off, congratulations. That's a, like, that's awesome that you just, that you got the job. Um, but secondly, yeah, I think that's uh, that they are. They're very complementary. Um, the two roles, I think, the two organizations. Yeah. Uh, FOI does very important work. Advocate. I, I would say there's some advocacy there on the part of journalists and just First Amendment rights and you know government transparency and education. I think, yeah, it's a it's a vital organization, and I think to have someone like you in that role is is going to be beneficial. Well, thanks. Them. I think they they're pretty well known by the journalists um, and and maybe some lawyers and librarians, um, but not super well known by the public. And I hope to change that. I really yeah. think this is an organization that the public can and should get behind. And so stay tuned for that. I won't promote that too much here because I don't want to have too much uh, blurring of the lines there, but Blurred uh, lines. <laughs> I, th- I forgot about that. Yeah, song. That was a thing. I, uh, but I think, like we said, there's a way for all of us to work together. Um, secondly, I did get married this week. We were just discussing it. Indeed. I'll brag about it. I'm excited. I, as you should be. We uh, we eloped. Something I've never, I guess, if people elope multiple times, maybe there's something to be said for that. I've never <laughs> eloped before. Um, but we, it was very exciting. And then today I got a new tattoo. That's not near as important as the first two, but I'm excited about that as well. I mean, I, I, I think that they're... I think they're all big events in their own way. And no, it was not an I Voted sticker tattoo. That would be cool, though. However, we do have new t-shirts in our new store on the website. 
So have you have you worn yours out yet? I on wore a, mine on non-election day. Yeah, I wore it uh, yesterday on July fourth. I thought it was very patriotic. Not, I did the same thing. Did you really? I did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So if uh, listeners, if you are interested in having a nice new soft navy blue, let's fix this. I voted T-shirt. They're available on our website. Let's fix this. Okay. Dot org. Go to the store link there at the menu. I think you can just go to. Let's fix this. Okay.org slash store. Uh, and if you use the code voter, you can get $5 off your t-shirt. And they're awesome. They really are. They're really cool. We but, got, uh, we got, we, we both wore them on election day mm-hmm. and got lots of compliments. We did. And I think a lot of folks, they probably f- um, didn't notice as much because everyone had on an I voted sticker. So at a distance, you don't know. That's the thing that's beautiful about it. Um, so yeah, twenty dollars you can get them online if you use the code voter. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, Scott, let's move in to our episode. Do we have any other announcements? I don't think so. I think that's about about all she wrote. I think so. Oh, one other thing though. Um, if you haven't yet signed up for one of our Capital Restoration Project tours, there are just a few spots remaining. We have one date later this month in July and one date in August. Uh, however, if they happen to fill up, we could add more. So take a look. Again, go to the website, go to the events page, and all the information is there in the link to follow for that. Awesome. That's all I have for now. Very cool, man. Great. Shall we get into it? Let's get into our Don't Miss This awesome. segment. You got okay. some news stories for us? Yeah. So this week, it's a little bit of a mix. It's, there's some news, and this week, honestly, it's a lot It's a lot of like opinion, a lot of commentary. You know, um, there's been some stuff going on the last couple of weeks, but I think obviously, you know, what we're going to spend the bulk of our time today talking about is the election and a lot of our, you know, articles that we picked this week are also dealing with that. So first up is Arnold Hamilton's got a great article in the journal record called the next two months could be wild. This is, this is really, it's a fascinating piece and I suggest everybody read it. It's a, it's kind of an election recap slash analysis specifically dealing um, with the campaign and election night results for Lieutenant Governor Todd Lamb. Uh, Governor uh, Lieutenant Governor Lamb uh, did not make it into the Republican gubernatorial primary. And this article kind of just delves into his, you know, what was his strategy? What were maybe some factors influencing his, uh, his performance that night? You know, for me, big takeaways from this are one, um, you never know what happens in an election, right? If you didn't learn that in 2016, you, you know that now, because I think that it would be, I think that anyone who says that Mr. Lamb was not the odds on favorite to be the next governor of the state of Oklahoma, you're, I just, I think you're misguided. If you don't think that that was kind of an assumption that a lot of people had that he was going to run, he'd win the primary and then he'd win the general election. I, I think it was an assumption leading up to the election, but I, if for those of us who listen to the podcast, they know that you and I, cast serious doubt on it yes as did most other politicos i yes. think and the polls did too they yeah and as we know if you listen to 538 politics as scott and i do it's more national stuff in fact no local stuff for us but um not yet um but they they talk about how how people misinterpret polls i guess right. that's really the gist of it and so i think this was pretty clear though there was no clear front runner yeah no i i totally agree i think that for for those of us that were watching the race carefully, you're 100 percent right. I think a lot of people were not watching the race carefully and just kind of assuming oh, that this was an inevitability. So that's takeaway number one. 
Takeaway number two, and this is a point that Mr. Hamilton makes in the piece, is that um, yes, while state question 788, the medical marijuana question, certainly drove turnout, um, Mr. Hamilton makes the can makes the argument that that was in fact not the deciding factor, and that if you are going to be running in Oklahoma for any kind of statewide office in particular, and you are not you're not seeing that kind of demographics and the the shape of the electorate in Oklahoma is changing. Like if you're missing that, you're not paying attention, and that doesn't bode well for your future. Yeah, and I think it's changing more quickly than even than even. I expected. I don't know about you, but I feel like some of the election results were uh, intriguing. The turnout was great. And and given this election was a bit unique because of state question 788. But I think that there, I think that even if you look nationally, I think things are shifting (coughs) maybe in ways that we thought might be possible, but they seem more possible than we anticipated. Yeah. I mean, one quick fact from this, um, do you know, Andy, you you actually are, you're the one person, if I was going to ask somebody, do they know this? You're the one person who might know this. Do you know how many new voter registrations we've had in Oklahoma since January? Oh, uh, man, I read this and I don't recall. Um, I'll take a stab at it, though, and say 48,000. Jesus, forty five thousand. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I said you're the one, the one person that might know this. So we've had forty five thousand new voters registered since January, um, which is just, I mean, it's awesome. We need to, in my opinion, register about four hundred thousand more. But um, that's fan. I mean, that's that's fantastic. But there's what that speaks to is that there's a lot of people who have not been engaged in politics in Oklahoma on either side of the aisle um, for years, uh, and that are trying to be engaged now. Yeah. So that's the that's kind of the second takeaway. Um, and then the third thing that he gives and gets into is kind of making not a lot, but a little bit of prediction about what the race between uh, the two remaining candidates, uh, local city mayor Mick Cornette and Mr. Kevin Stitt, who's a business from, businessman from Tulsa, mm-hmm. kind of talking a little about about what you know, what kind of the contours or the broad outlines of that race might look like. So it's just, it's a great piece. It's really interesting, um, particularly for a political junkie. So I would encourage everybody to check it out. Yeah. One um, thing, I don't know if they address this in the article because I haven't read all of it yet, but even, so as great as turnout was, and this will be my little moment to poo-poo on the election, um, I was super pumped, right, that we had, the turnout was higher than in the last gubernatorial general election, which I feel like that's a stat that is important, but also it's like one of those sports stats. Like this is the, you know, the team is great on third downs that follow second downs where they gained at least seven yards in their heading west. or And you're like, yeah, that's yeah. not, that stat means nothing. So right. so based on the last election four years ago for governor, it was that's a good deal. I don't know how it compares to previous gubernatorial elections. I didn't look at that. And even though turnout was so high this time, it was very, very low four years ago. And still, we had 800 and something thousand people vote this time. There's over 2 million registered voters in Oklahoma. So we still had less than half, more than a third, but less than a half. um, Show up and go to the polls. Actually go to the polls. And so, great job, everyone who went. Next time, bring a friend. Yep. And I'm nervous, I will say, that without... Uh, without a marijuana question on the general election in November, turnout might dip, right? It might be low again. I have thoughts on that. We're going to come back to that. Ooh, okay. Yeah, that's, in our ne- that's in our next segment. I mean, I, I guess we could do it now, but... Yeah, we'll come back to it. All right. Stay tuned, listeners. Next up, we've got from uh, the Tahlequah Daily Press uh, by Mr. Sean Rowley. 
lawmakers weigh in on primary results. This is uh, from about a week ago. Um, I it's just I thought it was really just an, an interesting article, kind of a nice summary of election results, but particularly from the standpoint of two lawmakers who represent largely rural districts, one from each party. So uh, state rep Matt Meredith, who's a Democrat from Tahlequah, uh, and the other lawmaker is state representative Dwayne Pemberton, who's a Republican from Muskogee, um, kind of talking about, you know, the things that they thought drove turnout. Um, they are also agreeing like, yeah, you know, definitely there was medicinal marijuana was not a small thing, but um, Mr. Pemberton makes the point of saying, you know, hey, like, don't forget about education. You know, he specifically references some of the Oklahoma platform caucus members who, you know, did not fare well uh, in the elections on uh, this past Tuesday, um, who didn't vote for House Bill 1010XX, which was the teacher pay raise bill. So um, he they, they just kind of really, they get into what was driving turnout this election, how they think, you know, why people voted the way they did in their districts. And then they also kind of do some prognosticating about what the gubernatorial election specifically is going to going to look like mm-hmm. so um great article grab it at the telequa daily press check it out next up um this honestly this next one may be the single most important kind of news e article free to read this week and this is from ben felder at the oklahoman uh it's called schools plagued by low funding as student needs increase um this is a, a little bit longer piece than sometimes we see on the oklahoma web- on, the, on the oklahoma website um but it's absolutely fantastic um, talking about just the difficulties that schools in Oklahoma face um, and the difficulties that their students face in terms of you know poverty, lack of adequate nutrition, lack of safe home environments, what things that schools can and do can do to try and address those things and really highlights the you know I think one of the dilemmas that that we face in, in education in Oklahoma generally, but that's an issue in education, all across the country, which is, you know, I think there's a legitimate debate to be had about what role, you know, I think people would get into debates, but what role does do schools play in providing free lunch? What role do school, schools play in breakfast and kind of meeting these other needs? The purpose of school is for school and, you know, is it really the school's business to address some of those other things? And I think the school, oftentimes their answer is, well, maybe it is, maybe it's not, but if kids can't learn because they're hungry, Right. If mm-hmm. they can't pay attention because they don't get adequate sleep because they're not safe at home. If there's all these other factors that are inhibiting our ability to educate our kids, doesn't it fall onto the school to take take on those things um, as part of their education mandate? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I think largely the answer to that question has been yes. But if schools are going to do that, then it requires significant resources. And that's really what. Ben's article is dealing with is that despite the progress that has, you know, unquestionably been made in funding education in Oklahoma in the last four months, there we're still behind the curve. Like we're still not where I think we need to be for schools to be doing all the things that we as a society have said we expect them to do. Right. And uh, maybe a bit of a soapbox here. So as we've said numerous times, um, education funding in our state has been cut tremendously <coughs> over the last 10 years. Now, I know from being at the Capitol during the walkout, there were a lot of people who were there and they were mad and they were up in arms. And the thing they're mad about is that 
you know, even though they may have voted to to raise teacher pay and to and to raise the increases in education funding, they were still mad. Like, well, they cut it for ten years. It's like, and I want to implore everyone when when someone says they cut it, to ask whom who they are, and and ask them specifically, like their legislators, because if you're someone who's saying, you know, well, they cut it. And you're like, well, who's your legislator? And it's, you know, I don't know, Forrest Bennett, who's been there for one term, right? Um, or anyone else who's been there for just a couple of years. Well, they, Forrest probably didn't vote to cut it. And also, like, they haven't been there very long. So a lot of the cuts were in years past. And as we move past this uh, this coming November election, when we'll have almost uh, three-fourths at least of the legislature have been there for less than four years right the they who cut it have long since gone and we have new people there who may have just voted to do the right thing for the their first opportunity right and so i think um while yes we certainly do have um a, a long way to go so they they we didn't have cuts this year we did get a bump it is not back to where it was 10 years ago um but to get back to where we were it's going to take it's going to take a lot of money a lot of time we didn't you know if you dig a hole, you, it, it takes a while to fill it back in, I guess. Right. Well, and this is kind of, you know, this is something that you and I went back. We, I don't want to say we went back and forth because it makes it sound like we were arguing. And we were, in fact, on the same page. But something you and I went round and round about with each other and then with people we would talk to during the walkout. Everybody's saying fully fund education, fully fund education, fully fund education. It's like, what, what does fully fund mean? Yeah, like, yeah. what does that mean? Like, does that mean getting back to pre-recession 2008? 2009 levels because if that's what you mean when you say fully fund it then you're making the case that at those levels education funding was adequate and there's people who are really involved in this issue who would say that they weren't even adequate then so like like what does that mean and this is this is what's hard i think about what we do which is trying to get people to be engaged and advocate for the things that they want to answer the question either from us or from your lawmaker or whoever is posing it to you, what does it mean to fully fund education? That requires you, I think, and tell me if you think I'm wrong, to get into the weeds a little bit, right? Like we right. like we as society, I know that like digging, like not everybody has to go get a master's in public policy, right? You don't have to go get your degree in education or work in a school. Like you don't have to do those things to have an educated opinion on what funding schools in Oklahoma should look like. Right. But you do have to go beyond, I just think schools need more money. Yeah. Like, right. Like, well, and that's, it's, I mean, we can't all be experts in everything. No. And I mean, neither you nor I have masters in public administration. We're right. really just started this as two guys who kind of pay attention. We may have other expertise that are even far surpass our political knowledge. Cause I feel like I'd learn stuff yeah. every week. Oh, um, constantly. And, but I get that it's not a hobby for everybody. In fact, I was getting tattooed today. I was talking to the uh, tattoo artist about it, and I said, "I don't, I don't know if you're political or not." But Scott Pruitt just resigned, and she was like, "I'm not political at all, but that's interesting." Which I, I don't know if she, you know, what, how much more she really even knew who he was or what yeah. he does, that kind of thing. But it did give me an opportunity to uh, evangelize about let's fix this to her and nice. give her one of my cards. But um, and she said, you know, I feel like I should know more about this because I've. I don't know hardly anything. And, and I know a lot of folks feel that way. In fact, most people that come to Let's Fix This events, I mean, every time at the Capitol, half the crowd 
is brand new has never yeah. been there before and yep. that blows me away every time and it's great like come on just bring a friend next time don't you know just because you came once doesn't mean it's over just like if if we really want to fix this you got to do more than just vote right and right and so voting you got to vote right if sure. you're if you're not voting then that is definitely the place to let's, start let's start there um because if you don't vote and you just come and talk it doesn't it yeah. may not mean as much so right. let's let's vote that's easy to do you can even vote by mail you don't even have to go to the polls if you don't like people that's super easy to do as well but um but then you got to do more than that too at least make phone calls send emails ideally leave your house if you can and talk to uh, talk to elected official. 100%. 100%. So that is uh, Ben's article from News OK, Schools Plagued by Low Funding as Student Needs Increase. Um, everybody make sure that you check that out for sure. And then almost as like a follow-up to that, this is from a blog post from Education Week that came up actually the day after uh, the election. Um, waves of teachers surging ahead in Oklahoma legislative races. So we had 67 teachers running for office this year in Oklahoma. 35 of them survived the primary, um, yeah. either winning their election or advancing to a runoff, um, which is, I mean, that's pretty solid, man. That's yeah, more than not nothing. That's more than 50%. And it's more than we had two years ago at the yeah, last teacher wave. Felt like, kind of like the teacher caucus of 2016. A mm-hmm. lot of, of education ran in 2016 and did not have much success. Um, and this is, I think, I think it's significant. And um, Mr. Burnett, who writes this article, uh, Darrell Burnett, the second. It's a cool name. Um, it is. He makes the point that, you know, teachers, most of the time, uh, teachers are kind of doing this on a little bit of a shoestring budget, right? Like many teachers don't have the political ne- connections. They don't have the kind of deep pocket connections that a lot of more traditional politicians have. So they're they're really doing this kind of fueled on, you know, grassroots passion and, you know, $5 donations from people that really believe in them. So to see that degree of success is... I mean, I think it's fantastic. Um, it will be interesting. It'll be interesting to see how many of them advance to the general election. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it will be interesting to see how many of them actually win. And if there really is like a significant cohort of teachers in the state legislature, because if there are, and a lot, cause and it's important to remember too, that a lot of these teachers are running. They're not like these teachers are running on, they're not all running as Democrats, right? They're running. Oh on yeah. Both, so- both sides of the aisle. Um, I mean, most teachers are Republicans in Oklahoma. Well, so assuming that assuming that several of those people win, uh, it'll be interesting, you know, when you look to be a fly on the wall in the Republican caucus, if the Republican caucus in the House next this time next year has seven teachers in it. Right. right advocating for increased education funding and the taxes that will come with that. To, to be devil's advocate for a moment, do you think that electing do you think we could elect too many teachers sure because then you can elect too many of everything right you don't need a state legislature that's i mean entirely teachers or entirely doctors or entirely oil men or women or ceos or whatever right like you need like like teachers i think are absolutely underrepresented in government sure but they can be overrepresented as well right i don't think we're in danger of that but i think that right now it's also interesting, I, I don't remember this article, but uh, one of them that I read, you know, oh, it was a report from OEA that said how many, quote, like education candidates there were or teacher candidates, and they identify teacher candidates as people who are currently teachers, former teachers, or were like 
children of teachers or um, like a spouse of a teacher. It was like a one one thing removed. And I thought, okay, well, that that's different, right? Like there's a lot of folks whose like mother was a teacher and and we may not know if that means public school or homeschool teacher or what they were just college professor or like right right it's a it's not all teachers are created equal i mean hell i taught for princeton review for five years right like did you're not a teacher i i don't think so but not in the, <laughs> not in this sense right you yeah. know right uh, i mean i you know i was an adjunct um you know professor as well for four or five years i would not consider myself a teacher if i was running right. for office i'm pro education sure i'm certainly that is a soft spot for me but it, not in the same way as um not in the same way as like uh candidate sarah carnes out in mustang that you and i visited with on election day uh who's running for the uh, house seat out there who is currently a teacher that's right. a different story so i think it'll also be interesting to see assuming that we do get you know a significant increase in representation from teachers what kind of role do they take now as members of the legislature either senators or representatives and really doing the work of getting into the weeds, getting into the nitty gritty of education policy and funding, but then taking that back to the schools where they've been employed mm-hmm. and diving into this with their former colleagues, mm-hmm. right? Like, do they go back and talk with their administration? Cause that'd be interesting, right? Oh, like yeah. it'd be interesting. Like say you're a teacher, you're a third year teacher teaching, you know, second grade at elementary school and maybe you and your principal right? Who's your boss mm-hmm. or your administrator in your district. Maybe you guys don't see eye to eye on education funding, but now you run for office and now you're the state legislator who is actually taking these votes and helping craft this policy. I mean, I think that sets up a really different dynamic the next time you go back into a meeting with your administration, mm-hmm. either at your school or at the district level, right? rather than being, I don't mean like just a teacher, but rather kind of having that employer, employee, supervisor, you know, subordinate relationship. Right. Right. Um, and I, yeah, I just think it'd be interesting to see what kind of, you know, how that, how that dynamic plays out and then what kind of education teachers in the legislature are able to provide their, their colleagues about yeah education funding and policy. Indeed. And then our last, uh, article. I'm so excited. I, I know you are. I saw that, uh, Effie Craven tweeted you and I about this today. Yeah. This will be our, our final installment of the, DC edition of Pruitt Watch. It's time. It's time for your weekly dose of Scott Pruitt. But this this week, this week is unique. Why? Because you heard it here. You probably didn't hear it first. Here, you probably have seen it on Twitter. <laughs> you heard already. it here eleventh. <laughs> you heard it. You heard it here two days after it happened. Scott Pruitt today, Thursday, July fifth, tendered his resignation to President Donald Trump, effective July the sixth as administrator of the Environmental Protection Agency. That's right. You and I were planning a Pruitt Watch anyway because right. several things have happened in the last couple of weeks. Yeah. And then in the midst of, of us uh, tweeting about it, then it dropped that he resigned. Yes, yes. And, you know, I mean... Would you like me to read his resignation letter? Will you actually? I will. Yes. I don't know his accent. I'm just going to read it in my own voice. That way it's less inflammatory. Mr. President, it's been an honor to serve you as the cabinet. Excuse me. Let me start over. Mr. President, it has been an honor to serve you in the cabinet as administrator of the EPA. Truly, your confidence in me has blessed me personally and enabled me to advance your agenda beyond what anyone anticipated at the beginning of your administration. 
your courage, steadfastness, and resolute commitment to get results for the American people, both with regard to improved environmental outcomes as well as historical regulatory reform, is in fact occurring at an unprecedented pace, and I thank you for the opportunity to serve you and the American people in helping achieve those ends. Quick side, this sounds like Trump wrote it. It really does. Maybe that's why they're friends. They speak the same language. That is why it's hard for me to advise you. I am stepping down as administrator of the EPA, effective as of July 6th. It is extremely difficult for me to cease serving you in this role because I count it as a blessing to be serving you in any capacity, but also because of the transformative work that is occurring. However, the unrelenting attacks on me personally, my family, are unprecedented and have taken a sizable toll on all of us. My desire is in service to you, as always, has always been to bless you as you make important decisions for the American people. I believe you are serving as president today because of God's providence. I believe that same providence brought me into your service. I pray as I have served you that I have blessed you and enabled you to effectively lead the American people. Thank you again, Mr. President, for the honor of serving you, and I wish you Godspeed in all that you put your hand to. Your faithful friend, Scott Pruitt. That's, uh, I will say this. Do you feel dirty after reading that? I don't. I'll be honest. (coughs) On the the presumption that Scott Brute himself wrote this letter with his own hand, it's kind of a sweet letter. It's a bit of a love letter to the president. And I'll be honest, like, let's say you were EPA administrator and it was a different president, right? I know you're a big fan of Obama. If you had been EPA administrator for Obama and you had to resign for whatever reason, I would think... I would not write that letter. Maybe not the same words. <laughs> you, know, you would probably do a more succinct, like, I'm resigning, blah, 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 less personal touch. But I I read this as Pruitt being someone who was uh, deeply committed to the president. He was also deep, deeply committed to lots of bizarre things. Yes. And scandals upon scandals. I just, so my thing, here's the thing about that letter. That letter crystallizes everything that bothers me about Scott Pruitt as a politician. And I, and I want to be uh. really, I want to be really clear that I'm saying everything that bothers me about Scott Pruitt as a politician. Okay. That's a very well articulated sentence because, because here's the thing. I don't know Scott Pruitt personally. I have no idea what kind of a human being he is. Right. I have my guesses, but I've never met the man, you know, like, um, but I mean, just one for one, I'm resigned, like personal attacks on me and my family. Do you think Scott Pruitt knows how many federal investigations he's under right now? 14, 19, 19. <laughs> he has 19 professional investigations. He has more active investigations than months in office. That's impressive. Right. That is like empirically impressive. He, his average comes out to like 1.1 investigations a month. New investigations. Well, it, it and, felt like so as a as someone who's you know a, a manager of I have a staff of about twenty five people at my job and and I've been there for nine years and during that time I've had a number of employees who I had to terminate right like terminate their employment and many of many of those that it's happened it was people who like I couldn't finish cleaning up the mess that they made on one day before something else happened. Like right. I'm in HR's office talking like, okay, well, you know, they sent this email and said this bizarre thing. 
and then they did this and then like while I'm there I get an email that something else happened I'm like I haven't even finished punishing you for the last thing you did and I feel like that's kind of what's been happening with Pruitt is that yeah. something's not even resolved yet and there's something else and then it's like and weird it, and weird stuff well right? it's weird stuff that is also possibly illegal right yes like him wanting the, the him wanting a specific brand of lotion that is only sold in certain um, hotels the the That's, scrubbing of his calendar right like 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 you, when you're a public like when you're a official at that level right. your calendar it's, it's a presidential record open record like that is an official right. government document and his staff was actively hiding and removing things mm-hmm. from his calendar and to having, avoid public scrutiny right. at his direction right and so like that is maybe clearly illegal the thing about the lotion and like the mattress those seem like weird but the fact that how it happened and the staff that he used to do it was very likely a violation of power ethics or something and the investigations were ongoing so the fact that he wanted some weird brand of lotion fine use whatever lotion you want but don't send another governor employee out to go do it and don't make them spend their own money on it like just weird stuff like that right well and and, you know and so the you don't need a soundproof booth right so there's with a biometric lock there's right there's there's the illegality um the the questionable ethics of I don't want to put a percentage on it, but the questionable ethics of any number of things that he's done, the questionable legality of any number of things he's done, but just like it, it come, going back to the resignation letter, the per, the personal attack. Okay, saying that people like people telling you that they don't like what you're doing at your job, that's not a personal attack, right? Like a big story over the weekend, Scott Pruitt was eating dinner somewhere in D.C., and a lady with her child walks up to him and basically says how do you sleep at night? Like what you're doing as EPA administrator with respect to our environment. I want someone, I think she said, I want someone at my EPA who believes in climate change, who's working to leave this planet in better shape for my kids than it was left to me. Like, and articulated these reasons why she said, I think you're doing a bad job and I think you should resign. Like that may be unpleasant. It may be uncomfortable, but it's not a personal attack. It's not threatening. And I, you know, I don't know exactly what Scott Pruitt was doing in 2008 and 2009 when Democrats all across the country were being harassed at town halls about voting on Obamacare, but I would wager that if Mr. Pruitt was questioned about people yelling at their congressmen and yelling at their senators about voting on Obamacare, his answer would have been something like, well, people have a right to make known to public officials what their stances on policy are. And if, you know, your state representative or your your congressman or your senator is taking a stance that you disagree with, it's your right to express that to them. Right. I, I, I bet that's what he would say. I bet he would say that way that it wasn't a personal attack. That's yeah. And I'm not I'm not here saying that that lady did the right thing. I'm not here saying it's what I would have done. I'm not saying it's the best way to handle it, right? Like I don't I don't know that that accomplishes anything other than you know kind of providing fodder for like the whole persecution narrative. Right. But like just you're under 19 federal investigations. Can we please drop this charade about all oh, these personal and unprecedented attacks against me and my family? Right. That's number one. And then number two. Something unprecedented. Abraham Lincoln was shot in the head there, while he was at the theater. There you go. So, right. So, so there's, there's, that's the first thing. The other thing about this letter that really, really bothers me, um, and I, I hate it when any politician on any side of the aisle does this. You don't get to like. It, you don't get to invoke God 
like and claim that you have some freaking divine mandate for what you're doing in this country, right? Like, I guess you can. I mean, I guess, you know, it's a free country. You can claim whatever you want. But, like, we have elections in this country. And if you believe that Donald Trump won the election because of, like, God's providence, I guess that's your... I mean, not I guess. That is, in, that is in fact, your right to believe that. Yeah. But when you are a public official and you inject that into the debate, right, you, you are claiming, in my opinion, that your actions... The, the power with which you are exercising your office is not derived from the people who put you there. It's derived from something else, and that something else is what you're ultimately answerable to. And to me, the reason that I get on such a... is because that is dangerous. Because people, Christians, um, people, of all, people of all religions all over the world throughout history have done terrible things in the name of their God and their belief. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that religion is bad. It doesn't mean that it's evil. I consider myself a very religious and spiritual person. It's something that's very deeply important and deeply personal to me. Mm -hmm. And it's, it, that it's important enough to me that to hear it, to hear it kind of laid out like this in this resignation letter, it cheapens it. Yeah. Like, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Like that's... I think you're not alone in feeling that way, right? Like, there's there's a lot of well, Christians in particular um, who who may disagree. Yeah, and that's fine. Like, they can just, but that's that's what that is what bothers me about Scott Pruitt as a politician, right? I, what bothers me is his like very long and well documented pattern of using government resources for well, personal gain. Clearly, I, I mean, obviously that bothers me too, but especially in the, I should say, those are the things in this resignation letter that <laughs> bother me about Scott Pruitt as a politician. Yeah. So, well, anyway, so that's Pruitt Watch. As we noted, that's the final installment of the Pruitt Watch DC edition because, uh, who knows what'll happen next. You know, you know what, guys? I don't know what he's doing next, but I Google every day. So, do you have a Google alert set up for Scott Pruitt? I may or may not have a Google alert it set up for Scott Pruitt. It might melt your computer. <laughs> so, all right. Anyway, that's well, it. Let's take a uh, quick break, and then we're going to come back and do our next segment. Okay, we're back, and uh, I'm going to start by reading a notice of public drawing that I just saw on the State Election Board website. As we've learned, if you just go to that site, you find cool stuff. So the notice reads, A drawing will be held at 10 o'clock a.m. Thursday, July 12th in the Oklahoma State Election Board's Conference Room, State Capitol Building, Room G28. The drawing will determine the order of political parties and independent candidates on the ballot of the 2018 general election. This drawing is open to the public. Scott, did you know this thing, this kind of drawing was a thing? I confess I had no idea, and I'm like, check my calendar. I'm right super now. happy that I know. Yeah, I'm gonna check my calendar right now and see. It's next Thursday. Mm. I might try to take an early lunch and just go hang out for the drawing. Of course you will. <laughs> it sounds interesting. I don't it, know. No, it does sound interesting. Also, I'm a big nerd. Okay, uh, so in this next segment, we're going to just do a quick recap of what happened on election day. If you tuned in last week, we did our live pod from Oak and Orr. That was a lot of fun, um, and it was a, a long episode. Thanks for hanging with us. 
um, during that day, Scott and I also collected a bunch of video and some other uh, um, conversations that I am trying to compile into a, a kind of a comedians in cars getting coffee. But we're not comedians, and we didn't really get coffee. We did spend a lot of time in the car, though. But we drove around a lot. We talked to some voters, some candidates, and uh, and, and just discussed politics. Also, it gives us a way to test some of our equipment for a new feature we're going to have coming up in a few months. But uh, So stay tuned for that as soon as I had it like a third of the way edited, and then my computer crapped a brick, and I lost it all. So, um, so we're going to get that <laughs> out to you soon. Um, but we wanted to discuss... Uh, what happened during the election. So turnout, as we said earlier, turnout was very high, higher than expected, still less than half overall, just to be clear. Um, and then a few <laughs> Gotta folks... Gotta get that dig in there to the voters. I do. Well, I want people to understand, like, good how much, job, How much better, better we can do. Well, we can, because I won't be satisfied until everyone turns out to vote. Hey, man, no disagreement here. Although, if we got like 90%, I'd be pretty damn happy. I honestly... I'd be thrilled with anything over 65. Yes. Oh, my gosh. That'd be tremendous. Like, that'd be a game changer. Yeah. Okay. So, um, uh, let's talk about some of the unexpected outcomes. So, Senate District 40, perhaps? Uh, yes. So, Senator Irvin Yen of SD40. The inc- incumbent. Incumbent. Been there for a long time. Long time. Several years. Um, uh, who've been very active uh, in healthcare policy at the legislature. Uh, Senator Yen was defeated by Mr. Joe Howell um, in the Republican primary, who will face the winner, I believe. That's one of our runoff races, right? No, no Kerry, Hick- yeah, Kerry, won. Kerry Hicks won yeah. that uh, race outright. So he will face Kerry Hicks in the general election in November. Kerry Hicks, one of the education candidates. Who is, she is a teacher, yes. Uh, running in the uh, election. Yeah, she, so. she bested um, Danielle Ezel. Yes. Um, so Senator Yen... Uh, who had high, been high in there, profile incumbent, and maybe in some uh, some regards was a fairly moderate Republican yep. senator. Yep. Um, he is a physician, so he is um, he authored the uh, texting while driving law. He is obviously pro vaccine, and he was beat. I believe Joe Howell is an anti vaxxer. Uh, I don't know that he's anti. I think he is anti vaccine mandates. Okay, because he's a he's a veterinarian. Um, really? Yeah, he talks a lot about his uh, experience as a healthcare professional. So I, I think, that he, yeah. So I believe I don't think he's an anti-vaxer. I think that he is an anti-compulsory vaxer. So um, Senator Yen had authored a bill that did not pass that would have basically ended non-medical exemptions for routine vaccines. So right now in Oklahoma, if you uh, elect not to vaccinate your child. You can say, I have a religious objection or other personal objection to the vaccine. The vaccine will be withheld and your child can still go to public school. Senator Yen's bill would have said that, no, if your child extends, if your child's going to attend public school, he or she must have all of the required vaccines. And the only exceptions to that are medical conditions that uh, prevent vaccination. Right. So it, to be clear, it would not have like taken your child from you and given them vaccines without your consent. It just would have said, if you're not going to vaccinate your child, you're committing to homeschooling or finding them a private school. I thought that was the law anyway. No, so you can opt out with a religious or a personal exemption. Okay. But uh, he, I'll, Senator, I'll Yen, my Senator Yen got a lot of blowback for that. He also got oh, a lot of... we got some of, like super racist... Yeah. Um, he got a lot of blowback for that. He also got a lot of blowback for uh, supporting, or I should say, 
not supporting what's called independent practice or full practice authority uh, or autonomous practice for nurse practitioners right. and physician assistants. Um, he was he was uh, working pretty hard um, not to see those bills go. In fact, he had a couple of those bills that he just were assigned to his committee that he didn't allow to be heard. Didn't hear, right. So it's funny. I, mean, I feel like he, because he's one of maybe the only physician up there. No, there's like three of them. Okay. Well, one of the only ones. And definitely a go-to for yeah. these things. He's the, he's the most high profile of the docs that are there for sure. And so I think he has been a, I'll say he's been a friend to the medical community in many regards. Um, but then, and so for him to lose, this is a big deal. Also, he's been, um, he's been a friend to social workers, to teachers uh, in many ways. Yeah. Um, I think he tends to vote party line on, on social issues, a lot of yeah. them, but not always. And so this was a, because he's pretty moderate that I think that means that this seat is somewhat it is perceived at least as being vulnerable to flip to the Democrats. Oh, this is one. I mean, I think maybe the most. Yeah, I'm not like I'm I'm not privy to the inner workings of the leadership of the Democratic Party of Oklahoma. But I mean, I think we know for certain that this may be their top target, actually. Yeah. Like this may they may see this as the most flippable legislative district. Yeah. In the 2018 cycle, so we'll see what happens there. But yeah. yeah, it was a big deal. So he's already out, basically. So it means someone farther to the right is going to run against a, a Democrat. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. In, in a district that's known for being pretty moderate. Yeah. Um, do you have the notes on any other incumbents that lost? Uh, let's see here. I mean, Lieutenant Governor Lamb, right, was a big one. Which um, that's the this is the first time that a Lieutenant Governor, a sitting Lieutenant Governor, did not get the nomination. Um, to run for governor and uh, and then also um, it's I think the first or maybe it's one of the first times and I think it's the first time that a sitting lieutenant governor did not get elected to some other statewide office they've run for other offices before so yeah uh, some other that are relatively high profile state representative Chuck Strom who was Chuck Strom representative Strom got a lot of flack this most recent session because he was in charge of the chaplaincy program. So representative Strom, the chaplaincy program says that uh, lawmakers sign up for a week. I think it's a week at a time. They get mm-hmm. to pick the chaplain of the week. Um, one of the representatives picked an imam from a local mosque. Um, then Senator Strom changed the rules and said, no, you can only pick people. You can only pick someone who is the chaplain or, you know, a pastor or leader mm-hmm. at your place of worship, given that everyone who professes to having a faith in the legislature is Christian, that effectively shut out any other faiths. It was seen as a pretty deliberate swipe against non-Christian clergy. Um, so Representative Strom did not make it out. Representative Scott McEachin, Republican from Tulsa, who is, I believe, one of the um, Freedom Caucus members, who voted against the tax bill for education. He was also defeated in the primary. Um, Representative George Fott, who's a Republican from Muskogee. Representative Fott uh, wasn't beaten. He's in a runoff, though. Um, he also was, is, I think, a Freedom Caucus member who mm-hmm. uh, voted against the education bill. So a um, lot, of, lot of folks that took a pretty hard line against education did not, did not fare well, which was certainly one of the things I think many people were we're watching on election night to see, yeah. to see kind of what that, <clears throat> what that, um, you know, what, the, what, what that was going to look like. A couple other like large turnout numbers just, I think that are interesting. So 2018, uh, primary votes cast 
452,194 for the Republicans, which is just a hair less than the number of votes cast in the 2016 general election, the presidential or the 2016 presidential primary, hmm. uh, which was 459,000, so difference about seven. Um, in 2018, Democratic primary votes cast 395,038, um, which is in 60,000 more than the 2016 presidential primary and 150,000 more than the 2014 primary. That's crazy. Um, it's incredible, actually. Um, total number of votes cast for the state question were 891,654. Um, total number of votes in the six, 2016 presidential primary, 795,765. So about 100,000 more votes on the state question than in the 2016 presidential primary. So I agree with you. Turnout has a way to go. But as primary elections go in Oklahoma, I um, I don't think that it would be an exaggeration to call this, you know, historic. I think that would be appropriate. I think so. Um, <coughs> um, as we mentioned, we've got several folks that will be in runoffs in the fall. Um, where's my numbers there? Yeah. So every single statewide rep- uh, office on the Republican side is in a runoff. Governor, lieutenant governor, corporation commissioner, labor commissioner, uh, Secretary of, um, not secretary, state superintendent for higher education, state auditor and inspector, and attorney general. All runoffs. Yeah, there's going to be, there's going to be a lot of runoffs in August. Yes, August 26th. No, 28th. Whatever that Tuesday is. August 28th. August 28th. Um, and as, as a bit of a teaser, um, in case you're wondering, yes, we are in talks with Nondoc and some other organizations to do some more debates for some of these runoff seats. The trick for some of them may be getting candidates to agree to do it. Um, in many of the races, someone didn't get the nomination, but they got really close. Yeah. And, uh, and I mean, as an example, um, for uh, for Congressional District 5, Kendra Horn, um, beat Tom. She beat everyone else in the Democratic. This is for the Democratic nomination. She beat everybody else for that. Um, with um, Tom Guild coming in second, and he. I mean, she got more than double. I think what he got. Yeah. But she didn't get more than fifty percent. So right. this runoff. So I would anticipate. I mean, so um, so Kendra Horn might have less impetus to do a debate because it can only well I, mean, I guess it could help her but I think it's likely that she will get the nomination and she's been campaigning as if she's running against Russell yeah. already yeah and so in those kind of situations um, it'll be curious to see there's a lot of folks who like one person almost got the nomination but they got like 48% and then the next highest is like in the 20s or the 15s and so they've got to do it again. They got to do the runoff, but the high person may not want right. to do it. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's going to be interesting for sure. This was kind of the last thing that I wanted to talk about today. Andy, if you've got, unless you get something else, no, no, go for it. What's going to happen in August. So we just went through the turnout numbers. Oh, right. Right. 
we've kind of talked about it. We, you know, most of a number of our articles in our news roundup today are kind of dealing with factors that were driving turnout in this election. You know, the big one, of course, SQ seven eighty eight. We got at least passed, which passed, yeah. yeah. Um, Everyone knows. um, But we've got at least one kind of prominent journalist arguing. You're kidding yourself if you think that SQ eighty eight is the only thing that was driving this turnout. And if you kind of go back and start running a conventional politics as usual campaign and ignore changing demographics in the electorate in Oklahoma, you do that at your peril. So my question to you, Andy, how much do we see turnout drop on the runoffs? Do we see turnout drop in the runoffs? Like what is, what does this election look like on August 28th? Yeah, I bet I hear, I'll say it. This is my prediction. I will say that, Turnout in August is sixty percent of what it was in June. Okay, it'll drop by forty percent. Okay, I think that that's probably I think that's probably right. I I'm gonna go, I'm gonna say eighty percent. Okay. And, and here's and here's why, because it's I've, rare that you're more optimistic than I am. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, it's it's so here's here's and here's why I say that. So this runoff is unique because this runoff in many ways with the number of runoffs that are happening, mm-hmm. it's almost like we're doing primary day all over again. Yeah, right. People like there's care. so many, I think, I think that people, I think that they do actually, I think that people, I think I'm choosing to believe at least for today that people care more than we think that they do. Um, I would love for that to be the case. You know, I don't think that this was all marijuana. I think that it was part of it for sure. But I think that one people showed up and voted. Like I talked to so many people that voted like, yeah, I hadn't voted in forever, but like, God, that was so easy. Like, so I think people realizing one that it didn't take that long Mm -hmm. Two, there are more resources than ever to be informed. Right. I mean, we're hosting debates for things like, labor commissioner and corporation commissioner and hundreds of people are coming Mm -hmm. like that's there's there is some engagement and so so i think it's going to drop i don't think it's going to drop as precipitously as we typically would see for a runoff i think it'll depend on a few things how hot it is outside well true the level of election fatigue people have and also i think everyone's like well yeah it's fine who you know one of these is going to win um, and I'm basing this on, on my own as someone who is a very engaged person. <coughs> like I feel less excited about this now, you know, check back with me like a week beforehand. I'll probably be all like, yeah, it's the election. Let's go do it. Woo. Everyone vote. Um, but I think for most Oklahomans also it's right after school starts and people's lives get busier. All those teachers are back to work and they're not going to take the day off to go vote. Uh, I think a lot of those teachers are going to take the day off to go vote. They can't all go. Half I mean, of them are running. Well, (laughs) half of them are in the election. Fair point. (laughs) I think more. Yeah, I think they may still vote, but I don't. The the thing that worries me is that we aren't. We're not talking about activism the way that we were during session, right? We are. Well, you and I are, but we were back then, too. And we have an organization that this is our whole deal. But the public, right? We don't. We had all these teachers at the Capitol and. You haven't really heard. I haven't. I haven't heard people talking about education the same way. Besides, just like general statements yeah. of. I think that's true, and I think that. I mean, this is where 
listener, if you if you tuned out for a second, we're grabbing you and pulling you back in. You're one listener. This hello. Is, hello. Well, welcome. <laughs> hello, Susie. Um, I'm, I'm listening. Like this is where like this is where you come in, right? Because I think Andy and I would both say, I I in fact I know we would say we are doing everything that we can think of to do. Like we're doing everything that we know how to do and leveraging all the resources that we have at our disposal. Um, but we need you guys, like we need you guys to do it too. Like now is when we have to put in the work to get people to register. You have to talk to your friends about how vital it is that they show up and vote in the runoffs. You got to talk to your friends about how vital it is that they stay engaged. You got to talk to your friends about what the issues are. Like this is like, like we said on the pot a few weeks ago, this is the off season, right? Like in January, once they're in session, like so much of the groundwork about what's going to happen in session oh, that's true. happens now. That's a good this point. is like when you're, this is when you're training. So you got to talk to candidates. You got to go. So um, I don't want to say the person's name on the pod because we haven't asked their permission to do that. But like someone in my area is hosting porch parties now, right? Like she's just inviting, oh, yeah. she's inviting people. Like she doesn't know me. Like we've never met, but she invited me on Facebook through a mutual friend. Like, Hey, will you come to this porch party? And like, go? I was not able to go. I, I couldn't was go really either. Sad. Yeah. But um, I'm going to the next one now. Um, like to come talk about like, let's fix this and what we do and like yeah. how you do it. So like go to those things, you know, two Sundays ago, the Sunday before the election, a bunch of people from my church, we got together, we got bagels, we got coffee and we sat and we went through our entire ballot. And everybody said kind of, here's what I know about this race. Here's what I know about this race. Here's what I know about this candidate. Like this doesn't have, like you can make this an interesting social thing. Like it doesn't have to be about fighting. It doesn't have to be about arguing. It doesn't have to be about like the other side is wrong whether the other side for you is Republicans or Democrats. It can just be about, Hey, let's all get involved and let our voice be heard because I promise, I promise if the 1.2 million people in Oklahoma who are registered to vote, but didn't vote this past Saturday, this past Tuesday, if they show up in August and November, I promise you that change will happen. Like it is a guaranteed, it is a scientific fact, but that's what has to happen. I would love for that to happen. I mean, that's kind of what we're all about here, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess that's my, like, that's my soapbox and that's my hope of like what, what can happen now. Full disclosure, I will be voting in the runoff. I will be casting a ballot on the 28th. I think, assuming that, yes, I will. I have one race I can vote in. I will be voting absentee. I will not be here on election day. <laughs> I won't either. <laughs> <laughs> I will be. You won't be here either? No, that's what the face I just made. I looked at my calendar and I was like, why am I out that? Oh, I'm going to be in Chicago that week. Oh, I will be in Canada. All right. Well, dude, you know what we should do? We should do like a remote like. Let's, yeah. Let's a remote our, like phone pod. Are you following? Our, are you following Twitter? Like what's. <laughs> Let's let our wives decide on that issue. Yeah, right, right. Are you vacation Chicago? Uh, yeah, uh, my brother-in-law lives in Chicago, and we're going to go visit him as a kind of a honeymoon-ish. Your brother-in-law thing. as of two days ago, three yes. days ago. Oh, we, you know, we call each other brother anyway. He's an actor in Chicago. Nice. My first time to go. Is he with one of the companies, like with like Steppenwolf or Second City, or is he like with one of the the? I don't think so. I mean, that doesn't mean he's, like, not a good actor. I'm just curious. Right, yeah. I don't... I'm not aware that he is. He has an agent. Lo- okay. All right. Dude, love me some Chicago. So, you got to go... Here's what you got to do. You got to go to Luminati's Pizza, 
right? Okay. Forget it, fuck, fuck who knows. You don't know. Illuminati's? No, just Luminati. Just, so it's Lou Malnati. Lou Malnati. All right. Like I, like first name Lou, last name Malnati. Have you ever eaten at uh, Sam and Ella's Pizza in Tahlequah? Uh, no, but I can see where. Okay, Sam and Ella's Pizza. All Sam right. and Ella's Pizza. It's delicious. Yeah, I'm sure. Carrie yeah. Underwood worked there. I'm sure. Yeah, nice. No, dude, you gotta get you. Uh, you gotta get you some Lou Malnati's okay. for a hot dog. Or, or for uh, for some pizza. Okay. I mean, Gino's East is acceptable, but Lumanadis is better. Okay. You're going in August. Yeah. Uh, what? Like the last week of August. Yeah. Uh, it's probably too late to catch a Cubby's game. No, yeah. I mean they'll be independent, so you can go to go to Wrigley, get you a Cubby, get you a Cubby's game. Chicago dog. Uh, oh, dude, it's the best. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll give you a whole list of places. Ashley's, uh, other than her parents, other than her parents, the family in Cairo. And then the extended family that's scattered literally in every one of these 50 United States. Most of Ashley's Egyptian families in Chicago. Really? Yeah. Is there a large Egyptian population in Chicago? Uh, yes, her family. It's the Nile <laughs> Midwest, I hear. So. No, it's, uh, there is. There's actually there's a, a fairly big fairly big uh, uh, northern Egypt pop, northern Egyptian pop, population there. So Interesting. Yeah. Fascinating. All right. That's it. All right, everyone. Well, that brings us to the end of the episode. Thanks for joining us. Um, no, this isn't the end. After this, we have a, another segment. Stand by. Okay, so we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to play uh, two phone calls that we had last week on Election Day. Uh, the first is with gubernatorial candidate Drew Edmondson. Uh, and again, this is a, a conversation on Election Day. And then also uh, Brian Dean with the State Election Board. So we'll be right back with those. We're going to play now our phone conversation with gubernatorial candidate Drew Edmondson that we recorded on Election Day uh, on June 26th. Hey, Andy, how are you doing? Good, Drew, how are you? Good, I've got you on speakerphone with uh, me and Scott Melson here from my organization. Hey, Drew, how are you? I'm good. Good. Thanks for chatting with us today. Oh, it's a pleasure. We won't take too much of your time. I understand you're on your way to Tulsa now. We're uh, just rolling into the city limits and going to be waving signs on a busy street here shortly. (laughs) I was going to ask, what does primary election day entail for a gubernatorial candidate? Well, I, I think it entails a lot of finding things for the candidate to do so he doesn't sit around and go crazy. <laughs> <laughs> fair fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. Um, I, go I ahead. Hope it's productive. Yeah. Well, it, it's, um, I think it's been a big campaign um, for everybody. Do you have a sense of who you might be facing in the general from across the aisle? That's what. That's how, that's how close it is. Yeah, that's what we're we're hearing from people as well. As it looks like it could come down to, you know, kind of the three candidates that I think most people are talking the most about are, you know, Lieutenant Governor Lamb, uh, Mayor Cornett, and Mr. Stitt seem to be what, you know, are 
kind of the, the three that it seems like it could come down to. I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, if any one of them can get a majority or if there's going to be a runoff between two of them. Well, I would bet money right now that there's not going to be a majority. I agree I with would, that. I would be surprised if anybody gets close to 40%. Yeah, yeah. Because there are a, a bunch of other candidates sure. in the race. Sure. You know, there's a, there's a second tier of Gary Richardson, Gary Jones, and Dan Fisher. Right, uh, right. Any one of whom could have broken through. I don't think it's happening. Yeah. Uh, and then there's another tier of people that filed at the last minute uh, that, you know, they'll all get half percent or a percent or more. Right, sure. So it, it's going to be a wrestling match over there. <laughs> <laughs> so, Drew, other than, of course, you know, your race, which you're going to be you know, is your number one priority today, and then kind of seeing who you might face up with in the general. What other races have caught your attention that you're going to be kind of looking looking for results when you're watching the returns come in tonight? Well, I'll be looking at the lieutenant governor races on both sides because one of those people running for lieutenant governor I'll be working with. Sure. Uh, also uh, watching the attorney general's race on the Republican side because it's been a... Boy, it, it came out with with this uh, swinging, and it's gone that way all the way through. So, yeah, and I wouldn't be surprised because there is a third candidate in that race. I wouldn't be surprised if that wasn't close enough where that ends up in a runoff. Sure, that's right. Yeah, we we helped uh, we co-hosted a debate between those three candidates last Saturday, and it was an interesting time, I think, for everybody. Do yeah, you? Uh, which is an Eastern curse, by the way. Right. <laughs> interesting times. Right. That's right. Do, um, and so one last question for you. Uh, I know that there's been a lot of attention to this race, and certainly the, the political field across America is different now than it was during our last gubernatorial election. How do you think that's going to impact turnout today? I think turnout is going to set a record today. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it... It sets an all-time record for an off-year election. You know, we usually have higher turnout in a presidential election year. Sure. But I think this is going to be huge, and I think in large part that's driven by uh, the advertising in the governor's race, but also state question 788. I think yeah. it's bringing out a lot of new voters. Yeah, I agree. All right, sir. Well, we'll let you get back to uh, your fun in Tulsa. Good luck today. Hey, thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, now we're back with our last segment of this episode, and this is a phone call that we recorded with Brian Dean from the State Election Board uh, on Election Day on June 26th. And Brian was gracious enough to take a few minutes to talk with us about what election day is like at the state election board. Election board, this is Brian. Hey, Brian, this is Scott Melson. Is that better? That's much better. Oh, beautiful. All right. All right, well, so I'm here with uh, Andy Moore. He's executive director of Let's Fix This. It's our uh, nonpartisan, nonprofit advocacy organization here in Oklahoma City. We try to get people to just engage with their government. And, of course, one of those big things is getting out to vote and we just had a couple of questions for you sure thing um so one thing we were asking about you know we've seen 
um, some of the news reports that indicate that early voting, there was record turnout among both Democrats and Republicans. And that got us wondering, on election day, do you guys at the election board, do you monitor turnout in real time? Like, are you hearing about turnout numbers from polling places throughout the state? Or does that information come in at the end of the day when polls close? Yeah, we, we, we can't monitor, you know, there's no way for us to monitor the numbers real time is, you know, the way that it works during early voting, the way the reason we can track that um, more specifically is that that's done at the county election boards, or in some cases they have a, a secondary site. But they, when voters come in, they, they scan a, a barcode for each voter that gives that voter a voter credit. And so um, we're able to quickly know how many of those are entered into the computer. But um, because on election day, you vote at your, your polling places, um, they don't have any way of connecting to the internet. You know, obviously our voting machines do not connect to the internet. Um, so that's not something they could, you know, they could, we don't have a way of, of, you know, real time for them to, to have those, those voter credits, you know, go, go up to the, to the computers. So they take those, those uh, poll books back to the county and, and over the coming days, um, and sometimes in the case of large elections, it takes them a, a, a week or more. Um, they go through and they scan the, the barcodes next to each of the voters who signed the poll book. And then we have, a, you know, the voters get voter credit. Now, obviously, we'll also know on election night how many votes were cast, but um, how many ballots were cast. But um, there's no way for us to just be able to track it real time. We hear things anecdotally from the counties, and we try to check in with them if we can to just to see how, how things are looking and what the, you know, what, what they're seeing. But... Um, you know, the indications are fairly good. We've, you know, they've had uh, fairly decent uh, for, for for a statewide primary. They've had pretty good uh, activity at the polling places, and so we're we're certainly hopeful we'll see good turnout this time around. Sure, and that kind of leads to my next question: what is what is typical for turnout in a non-presidential primary year? Well, um, and you, you know, you're right. We we try to track these things with compare presidential years to presidential years and compare what we call gubernatorial years to gubernatorial years and those are the those are the years whenever there's you know the statewide races including the governor on the ballot um and it, it depends somewhat just on the year there are a lot of factors that can come into play in 2014 we had a, a very poor turnout um it was about 40 percent of registered voters um it's you know in 2010, I think it was closer to 50 percent, uh, just under 50 percent, um, and and that would be more more of a healthy turnout level um, than what we saw in 2014. And so, um, you know, somewhere in that that 50 percent range is uh, is not unusual. To, you know, I think you could you could call um, pretty average, and, and certainly something we would we would like to be back at that level for sure, rather than rather than what we saw in 2014. Awesome. Just a couple other things. We know you're obviously got a really busy day today. Um, you know, candidates are out and about today. Campaign staff are out and about today trying to encourage people to get to the polls. Um, what are kind of the a real just basic overview of what are campaigns and candidates allowed and not allowed to do today as it relates to either being at polling places or getting people to polling places? What are the kind of rules of the road that they need to follow today? And, well, keep, keep in mind that when it comes to there, there are certain things that are covered by the Ethics Commission that, that we don't get into sort of the campaign side of things per se, but we do have rules in place in the election code about how close people can be um, to a polling place and, and, and electioneering is what we would call it. And that's electioneering is when you are, you are specifically advocating for a, a particular candidate or, or um, 
issue on the ballot. So, um, you know, we have a law saying that you can't be with, you can't do electioneering within 300 feet of, of a ballot box. So okay. um, any, anybody who's holding signs or waving signs around or, you know, trying to convince people to vote for their candidate got to be at, at least 100 yards away from the, from the ballot box. Um, and that's, I mean, that's the big one that we deal with. Um, also, you know, sometimes people show up and they want to wear their candidates, uh, you know, apparel and things like that. Um, and, and, well, you can wear things that, you know, you can wear things that aren't, aren't specifically in support of a candidate um, or, or ballot issue. You can't wear something saying, you know, vote my candidate for governor or, or you know, say vote, vote yes or no on this specific uh, state question or anything like that. Interesting, interesting. And then the last question I have for you, and this alludes to something you mentioned earlier, you know, certainly without getting into, you know, the politics or what did or didn't happen, there's been a lot of talk at the national level about potential, you know, interference by, you know, non kind of sanctioned or non-U.S. entities in elections. Um, And that's led to, I think, just to a general discussion of election security in the United States. Is there anything you can say to Oklahomans as they're casting their ballots today just to kind of hear the reasons why you can feel good that your ballot is in good hands, the elections are, you know, safe and reliable, and there's no way for anybody to kind of tamper with any sort of results? Sure. And this is, a, you know, this is something that we've had to really uh, address over the last couple of years. And we have to walk a bit of a line here, too. On the one hand, we need to be clear that there, there have been – you know, we know that there have been efforts from um, outside actors to uh, to infiltrate voting systems across the country. We we are in contact with both our state cybersecurity personnel and with with federal Department of Homeland Security and and uh, the FBI and other federal agencies involved. And you know, this stuff is being monitored and discussed at the highest levels. We are we are staying in the loop with with all of those people, and we are working. We have worked on, you know, um, improvements to our security as all the states are doing. Um, I, I think. At the same time, you know, when I say we, strike, we need to strike a balance, we also need to make clear that there are not allegations of votes being tampered with. What what has happened in, you know, what, what happened in some states were that there were attempts to infiltrate their voter registration databases. And in, in some cases, I think there was some, uh, you know, some information that was retrieved by, by those outside uh, uh, actors that, you know, they were able to, to retrieve information that should have been private. Um, and, and we want to protect that information. Oklahoma, we are we have a very good system in this state. We're one of the largest. We are the largest state that I'm aware of that has a a um, the same system statewide. So every county has the same voting machines. The computers they use to tally, tally the results are owned by the, the, the state. They are secured computers. They don't plug into the internet. Same with the machines. They have no no ability to connect to to any sort of outside uh, um, network. Or you know, the only thing they plug into is the wall outlet. Um, uh, they you know that system being the same in every county. That also means that our our databases are are protected by our state cybersecurity personnel, and. Um, you know, in some states, they have different counties might have different systems, and uh, you know, security may vary from one county to another. Um, 
and and I think all all the states have worked to improve their security and make sure that that people aren't able to infiltrate their systems this year. But but we are you know we are we are constantly aware and vigilant about protecting um, information and making sure that votes are secured. It is you know we have a number of security measures in place and um, you know trying to actually alter the results of an election is exceedingly difficult even even in and maybe in some of those states that don't have security is quite as good as ours so um, I, I don't think there's any suggestion by any any of the folks that have that have been monitoring the security situation here that that anyone's votes being changed we make sure everyone's vote gets counted in the state and counted accurately and that's the way we're we're going to continue to do things here awesome that's really that's so good to hear, and I think just, you know, for anybody that would be worried about that, I think that just is helpful to provide them some some reassurance about the integrity of the process, because like you said, there's been some questions raised about that in the last couple of years. So, um, well, Brian, we really, really appreciate your time. I know this is a super busy day for you, so we'll let you get back to it, but thank you for, uh, thank you for your time today and coming on with us, and we really appreciate um, all the work that you guys do at the election board. We, uh, Andy and I, I think both spend... Um, Maybe half of your website traffic is just the two of us. <laughs> uh, we spent uh, uh, considering how much we're getting. I, I think it's highly doubtful, but uh, <laughs> we really do appreciate you guys getting the word out. And you know, the, the way we get better turnout is is by by getting the message out there to people, making sure they know they can get out and vote. And that polls are open seven a.m. to seven p.m. And uh, make sure you get out and and get your vote in while you can. This is how you get your voice heard in our system. Awesome. Thank you so much, Brian. Have a great rest of your day. You too. Bye-bye. That brings us to the end of this episode. Remember, you can connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Let's Fix This Okay. Scott is at SC Melson and Andy is at Andy OKC. You can also like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Let's Fix This Okay. Our website is Let's Fix This Okay.org. And there you can sign up for our newsletter, read our blog, find resources and details about upcoming events. Our podcast is edited and produced by Scott and me, and Let's Fix This is a member of the Mostly Harmless Media Network. Our theme music is generously provided by the Sugar Free All-Stars. Let's Fix This is a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization who strives to educate and equip all Oklahomans to engage with their government. We encourage you to get involved in any way that you can, and remember, decisions are made by those who show up. Thank you.